are live. Episode two of Bows and TKOs coming at you on the beautiful Tuesday evening here in the Valley as I just wrapped up watching my Halos uh, get their second one in a row in a four-game series against the Rangers. I'm heading to Dallas um, tomorrow, get a couple days off to watch some Halos games, enjoy Otani before he's a Dodger, and, and get ready to catch the All-Star game in Seattle. And I know you guys don't care about my baseball fandom, but we have a stacked MMA show today, an awesome pay-per-view card that happened this past weekend, fight night action this Saturday, plus plenty of action around MMA this Friday. We have PFL action, we have Bellator with a massive card, so get, get hyped up to talk plenty of MMA here on episode two of Bows and TKOs. But before we talk MMA, let's talk the one and only sponsor here at Bows and TKOs, and that is Fueled Supplements. So Pup House is here. Non-stimulant pre-workout products are now having to find a way to stack up against the all-new Pump House. Like all field products, we carefully constructed an ingredient formula that delivers the best muscle strength, performance, and endurance paired with skin-splitting pumps and a focus complex that keeps you dialed in in the entire workout. This is perfect, perfect for stimulant-sensitive workout enthusiasts or late-night gym sessions, and you don't want to be wide awake after. So don't run, sprint, and get your Jimmy House-inspired non-stimulant pre-workout pump house. Go to fueledsupplements.com. Use my promotion code BUCKETS, B-U-C-K-E-T-S, for 15% off. And I love the stim pre-workout. I haven't tried the non-stim pre-workout, but... As the, the ad there says, I mean, it's great if you're trying to get a late night pump in, not try to get wired. I know I try not to take any caffeine after 3 p.m. So if I need to do an evening workout, I typically want to take pre-workout. So now a non-stim option. You guys already know my feeling behind this. If you're getting supplements, you're trying to get that summertime shine, go to fieldsupplements.com, support small business, get away from GNC, get that stuff out of your Amazon cart and go support the American dream, because that's what it's all about. But let's jump right in. There wasn't a ton of fights booked uh, thus far this week, but we got Ignacio Baja Mondes taking on Ludovic Klein August 5th. Although Dana White has not confirmed, this is supposed to go down in Nashville, so another fun fight night card outside of the Apex, which you love to see. We got veteran OSP Ovince St. Prue, Taking on Jan Kutalaba August 5th, also in Nashville. So that card is starting to get built out. We have an amazing scrap going down for UFC 293 in Sydney. Vivian Araujo versus Casey O'Neill. I nailed her name. I get it wrong every other time, but nailed it that time. Uh, we also have Lupi Godinez versus Sam Hughes September 16th. And an awesome light heavyweight scrap, Carlos Olberg and Dawoon Jung. Going on in UFC 293 in Sydney, that's a certified banger. But before we talk uh, MMA action, let's talk uh, a little bit of reality TV with MMA. We get a recap, episodes two and three. Uh, two came out tonight, and usually I don't get a watch, or episode three came out tonight, and usually I don't get to watch it before I record the podcast, but pay-per-view buyers got the luxury of getting the episode early. I obviously dove in and watched that on Sunday. But let's talk uh, episode two. Um, I love seeing Connor get into the tough house. And the first thing he does is, is come in, gets a proper number 12, gets his drinks going with the boys in the house, 
flowing with the energy. I mean, that's the stuff people want to see in the ultimate fighter house. I don't know if that necessarily helps his fighters. Um, and, uh, you know, really prepares them for things that, that he should be besides getting them tuned up. Um, cause I feel like they definitely poured a couple, a, a couple proper 12s back, but man, the vets are quality in this house. It's going to be tough for the prospects in episode two, uh, a guy that's, it's been around, uh, a lot of different promotions had, had been seen just as an underdog. And I thought he fought miraculously against the young prospect, of Connor pieced him up, got his eye all swollen and, and did work. I believe his name is Cody Gibson. And then in episode three, uh, uh, just another good performance by the veteran on um, team Chandler three and O we already knew in the trailers coming up that there's going to be a heated moment between Connor and Michael. We have not seen that yet. And I assume something with Chandler's team whooping some ass has something to do with it. Um, but I also love the little cut screens they do with Connor during the fight. He's standing up. He was wearing his boy's cowboy hat, episode two. Episode three, you know, he didn't get a lot to say as uh, Aaron McKenzie uh, got two-pieced in a soda. Um, but I, I love that idea. I, I love that the UFC is giving some value for pay-per-view buyers. Although seeing the tough early is not much value. For me, as a true MMA fan, if you're a true MMA fan, anything and everything for freaking $79.99 Bring it on. And in episode three, it was kind of funny that Austin Hubbard, who, uh, you know, I, I've, I'm familiar with in the UFC, ex-LFA champion, is fighting the current LFA champion, Aaron McKenzie. So basically, we got to see an LFA title match in The Ultimate Fighter. And Austin Hubbard came in looking good. It's just way too well-rounded for Aaron McKenzie. So Team Connor, 0 for 3. Some fun drama. Connor drinking in the house. Chandler's team doing a lot better. Chandler looking like the better coach. Uh, I'm not too surprised. Connor's out there sparring his boys and piecing them up. So uh, it, I feel like the building of the episodes are just getting there. I would assume the next three episodes have a lot of meat and potatoes. And obviously, all 406, you know, um, I want to say alumni, but, you know, just 406 Montanans, I should say are going to be excited for Hunter Azure, the number one bantamweight for, for Michael Chandler. Can't wait to see him. Hopefully he wins the show. So I'm eager to see what happens a week from today, unless somehow UFC unleashes early access again. But uh, let's talk PFL this past weekend. A little bit of a shocker, but I thought Brendan Longnane put this in great perspective online. As much of a grind as these regular seasons are for the PFL, you're putting multiple fights together, having to cut weight, dealing with injuries. You know, he's cleaned house in the PFL, and I'm sure that he hasn't been healthy. It's just kind of worn down on him. Well, Jesus Pinedo gets a brilliant first-round knockout over Brendan Lognane, a massive, massive victory for him. I would have never saw that coming, but I've never really thought about the durability and the grinded-out aspects of the PFL, but that's very valid. And um, Brendan Longnane definitely hit it on the, the nail on the head, if you ask me. We also had Movlid Kubailev with a round two submission via arm triangle over Tyler Diamond. Um, I've, I'm familiar with the arm triangle, but after I saw Gilbert Burns in his fight before Bilal when he was hurt, have that beautiful arm triangle. I've been using that in jiu-jitsu a lot. Uh, it's been going well. Uh, it, it's been fun. But that's a big win over Tyler Diamond. And your boy Bubba Jenkins with the round one submission via rear naked joke over Joe Sungbin. 
Uh, that's a big win for him, especially round one. Taking it to him, getting the takedown, getting the neck. Josh Silvero, who's 11-1, getting a round one TKO over DeLon Monte. Uh, that was a big win, keeping a, a, a good high-level record going in the PFL. And sadly, Gabriel Braga with a round one TKO over ex-UFC fighter Marlon Marias. After that, Marlon Marias retires. Uh, an amazing career that Marlon ha has had. I think he was one of the more explosive, fun fighters when it comes to just striking in general in the UFC. Um, him and Edson Barboza during their primes were straight savages. Marlon sadly ends his career on a one, two, three, four, five, six, seven fight losing streak. All of them via uh, TKO or knockout. Once the chin is gone, man, it, it's tough. I'm surprised he lasted that long. But he started in the PFL or in the World Series of Fighting, same ownership, retires in the PFL, right where he felt like he belonged. Um, but had a split decision victory over Jose Aldo in 2019. Fought Henry Cejudo, beat Rafael Asuncao, beat Jimmy Rivera, beat Aljamain Sterling via knee in 2017. Um, amazing career, a, a legend of a fighter, and uh, I wish he could have got at least a PFL victory or could have retired on top. And then also, Chris Wade with an impressive round one submission via guillotine choke over Ryoji Kudo. Uh, Chris Wade fought for the championship against Brendan Lognane last year, continues his winning ways. Now, um, PFL is happening this Friday. It'll be interesting to see. I love when the same weekend we have action across multiple promotions, especially a UFC card that maybe not as deep or as high pro prolific fire fighters on the card. Can the PFL, can the Bellator pull through? Since I've started business at Buckets, now transformed into Boza TKOs and business unfiltered, the promotions just haven't stepped up. I have not gotten that intrigued unless there is a uh, Kayla Harrison or uh, Pacheco, someone who's doing amazing things or an ex-UFC uh, veteran there. I'm really not that excited most of the times, but I'm going to try to give it a fresh slate this weekend. Bellator, PFL, this Friday, PFL's on ESPN Plus at 3.30 Pacific. The main card is on primetime, ESPN, 7 o'clock Pacific. So... You have Anti Delisia taking on Maurice Green, which that's not a very good headliner if you ask me. Ex-UFC fighter, barely could make the UFC roster, coming off a lucky win in his first PFL bout if you ask me. Let's see if he could get another win against Delisia. The person who PFL should be making the main card, Larissa Pacheco, a double champ defeating Kayla Harrison, is taking on Amber Lebrock. It'll be fun to see what she can do. Aspen Ladd searching for her PFL, first PFL victory. She's an ex-UFC fighter taking on Carolina Sobek. Henan Ferreira taking on Mathus Scheffel. Dennis Goldslav taking on Jorgen DeCastro, another uh, ex-UFC veteran, part of John Jones' fighting prep for um, Cyril Gaon. We have Julia Budd and Martina Jindarova. That should be a good scrap on the women's side of thing. So some pretty decent fights at the PFL, but how about this Bellator 297 card on Friday as well? You have the prelims on YouTube for free at 3 o'clock. The main card, 6 p.m. in Chicago on Showtime. I think the best fighter on the Bellator roster and a guy that could truly come in and compete at the UFC level 
Vadim Nemkov taking on Yoel Romero. Yoel Romero has really been the prize pony for ticket sellers for Bellator. He has not performed the way he did in the UFC. Granted, he is, what, 50 years old? That's a joke, but he is 46 years old, not that far from it. Um, but Vadim Nemkov, man, is a savage. If we look at Vadim Nemkov's last couple fights, he has defeated Corey Anderson. Um, he defeated Phil Davis, Ryan Bader, Phil Davis again, Felipe Leans. Um, he lost to Yuri Prashaka and Risen via a TKO, but he has beaten very good people, and that was the only loss he had besides Carl Albretskin and Risen as well. So um, he is only 30 years old. He's just entering his prime. He is very well-rounded, has the grappling ability. Really interested to see how he, he goes against Yoel. And hopefully there's some action. If this, this main event doesn't show out, it's one of those Yoel circling, nothing happening. It's going to be a real dud. But probably the best quality fight here, we have Sergio Pettis taking on Patricio Ferreri. I believe both of these guys are the younger brothers of the Pettis and Ferrari brothers. Um, high quality fight here. I don't feel like we've seen Sergio Pettis fight for a while. Maybe I'm crazy. Let's pull it up. Sergio is only 29. His last fight was, yeah, December of 2021 against Kyoji Horiguchi. He had the spinning back fist knockout. That was savage. Um, he's beaten Tyson Nam in the UFC, Joseph Benavidez, Brandon Moreno early on. John Moraga, so some pretty high-quality uh, wins previously for Sergio. Um, I'm really excited to see him after quite some time. I didn't realize it was that long. And then we have the other Frieri brother. Let's see what his few fights have been. He's 35. I guess he's the older one. So older versus younger. He's coming off three straight wins, including one against A.J. McKee. He's one and one with A.J. McKee. Um, so he's wanting to move down. Um, he's moved into three different weight classes, I believe. Uh, so that's going to be really interesting. Um, should be a really high-quality fight. So at bantamweight, that's probably the best quality matchup. But obviously, the Nemkov-Yoel Romero is the main event for a reason. And then you got to love this, ex-UFC guys. Corey Anderson, Phil Davis. And then you have a 12-0 Timur Kaziriev taking on Richie Smolin. There's a few other guys with some high-quality records, but I just didn't see any high-quality opponents, so we'll see. Uh, but free on YouTube, um, I'm definitely going to be watching these. The great thing about the PFL, I don't have to watch that live. I can get it on ESPN+, and I could watch YouTube back on the prelims, and we'll have to stream Showtime because I do not pay for that. Letting the world know that, I guess. But enough of these other promotions. Let's talk the big dogs. Let's talk UFC 289. I went 6-3 and three again, although I'm a little sour about that. Uh, so 12 and six so far with bows and TKOs, you know how we do it out here. A fight we did not break down previously that, that actually was pretty awesome. Ayman Zahabi keeping the Canadian fighters undefeated on the night with a massive round one knockout over Aurelja King. And, uh, it was such a big knockout that when he got back up, he was squaring up and ready to fight. Ayman again, he was clueless, was, was completely just. His clock had been cleaned. So really nice win. The Canadian fans went crazy. But we're going to start in the early prelims. How this was in the early prelims, I still don't understand. We have Steve Astro Boy Ersig with his UFC debut, getting a unanimous decision victory over David Dvorak, a ranked flyweight fighter. Performance of the night, 50 Gs to Astro Boy, man. 
Before we talk about how good Astro Boy did, though, I had David winning rounds one and two. Uh, the stats back that up. Let's see what this, the stats are. Steve Ursick did have a big moment in uh, round two, but it was after David had been pretty much uh, outpointing him throughout the entire round. So I didn't think that was enough to warrant the round victory. But when we break down the stats round by round, uh, David in round one landed 20 total strikes, 20 significant, Astro Boy 16-16. And then in round two, David 23-23, and 23. Um, Astro Boy 18 total and significant and had the one submission attempt. He went 0 for 1 in takedowns. So I was a little surprised by the decision there, but it was a very close fight. Steven showed out, man. Uh, never seen the guy fight. He'd come from Australia. He'd been cleaning house in the promotion that he's in. And... Um, he, he wasn't quite as clean in the pocket. He, you know, David was controlling it. He was, David's really good at keeping his head off the middle. He kept that motion going, but Astro Boy kept coming forward. And for a guy that took a fight on short notice, I did not think he would have that kind of output in round three, the cardio on this dude, the durability on this dude. And he landed the big shots at the right moments and the judges love the damage scoring, right? So he did have the bigger shots throughout the fight. But I thought David should have won that fight. That sucks for a guy that's on a skid, that has done everything and anything, fought high-quality opponents, and fought his heart out that, that, that day. And no one's talking about him. You hate to see it. Um, but statistically, David landed 56 total strikes. 53 of those were significant with a takedown and three attempts. Uh, Steve landed 56 total strikes, 54 of those significant. He did have three takedowns and four attempts of him, uh, himself. And he did have a submission attempt as well. So like I said, David now extends his losing streak to three. It's a brutal stretch. He's lost against very, very good competition. He does move down five spots to number 15, so he still is in the top 15, deservedly so. I'm glad to see that, honestly. And Steve extends his winning streak to nine. Welcome to the fucking UFC. Gets a victory in his debut in a crazy Canadian crowd. Moves into the top 15 at 14. Watch out for Astro Boy. He seems like a, a full package and is going to be a problem in the flyweight division. And how, how old is he? He can't be very old. These Australian fighters, man, they're coming with a vengeance. He is 27. Man, very, very impressive. Um, so what's next for, for, for Astro Boy? Well, obviously he came into the UFC with a bang. I think they would level up the opponents. I mean, there's not a lack of opponents for him, but I could see him taking on someone like Suma Duhari or uh, Matt Schnell. I think that makes sense. And for David, um, it'll be interesting to see what they do. I would assume he takes a little bit of time off. Three straight losses. Uh, you lose another one, you're, you're honestly in danger of you know being cut. Uh, but I could see him taking on Tagir Olenbekov, uh, maybe Tim Elliott in another veteran fight. Um, either way, I hope he does bounce back well because he looked great in this fight and has looked good in other fights. There's just some high-quality opponents in flyweight, a lot of young talent coming up in that division as well. So started the night with an L, but I thought it should have been a dub. Moving into the prelims, got another L. The veteran Kyle Nelson, Canada, keeping Canada rolling with the unanimous decision over Blake Builder and... This was just a grimy fight, man. This was uh, Kyle Nelson fighting for his UFC life, to be honest. He's had a brutal stretch. you got to put it all on the line. He was 
really being aggressive with Blake and was really doing well in the grappling exchanges against the cage. I did not think that would be the case. I thought Blake would be able to out-wrestle him and grapple him, and he was just wearing on Blake. And Blake has amazing cardio, but I've never seen Kyle be able to put this output out. That jab, that stiff jab was working nice. Blake really couldn't close the distance, and when he did, it was combos, some crazy shots that weren't landing and finding the mark. And Blake or Kyle was able to stick that jab in, get him backed against the cage, grapple, wear on him, had the best, the best of the grappling exchanges. When Blake did try to get takedowns, Kyle wasn't having it. And I, I haven't seen Kyle put out that well of a, a that great of a well-rounded performance in quite some time. And I thought Blake's cardio in rounds two and three would come out. But when you're out there trying to get takedowns, you're trying to get those hands locked, you're trying to lift a guy's entire weight and it doesn't go for you, it empties a lot of uh, the gas tank or the stamina bar for playing video games. And I think this will be a great learning moment for Blake. This is uh, uh, the first loss for him as a pro. I'm sure he'll come back stronger than ever. He is not a spring chicken, so you know he's got a lot to fight for right now, just like Kyle did. But uh, amazing performance by Kyle. You'd love to see that for Canada as their fighters clean house on the night. Statistically, Kyle landed 83 total strikes. 59 of those were significant. He was 0 for 1 in takedown attempts. Blake landed 84 total strikes, 45 of those significant, so pretty similar volume. Uh, he was 0 for 3 in takedown attempts. Kyle is now starting a new winning streak, and as mentioned multiple times, probably saves his UFC career. He is 2-3-1 since the beginning of 2019. And Blake suffers his first pro loss, ending his impressive eight-fight winning streak uh, coming into the UFC as well as a contender series fight. What's next for these guys? How about Kyle Nelson and TJ Brown? TJ coming off a loss. That seems like a good fight. And for Blake, another contender series alumni, Francis Marshall. That makes sense for me. But massive victory for Kyle with everything on the line. A desperate fighter. You never know what's whether they're going to you know crumble or they're going to show out. Kyle showed out in front of the, the Canadian crowd. Speaking of Canadians, golly, Jasmine Juzdavicious, man. Unanimous decision over a very good, young, and strong Miranda Maverick. Another L that we took here on predictions. Jasmine had outdone every Miranda everywhere. Miranda, maybe not the best striker, definitely got outstruck. But I would have assumed when she needed the takedown, she would get him. But every time she was getting pieced up, she got the eye swollen by round three. Said she couldn't see out of her eye. Every time she was getting pieced up, she would try to close distance, get a takedown. And every time she did, Jasmine would find a way to get her off balance and end up on top, which coming from a guy that's wrestled and does jiu-jitsu, that's very hard to do. Obviously, women's grappling is a little bit different with flexibility, strength, that kind of thing. But I was so in breath. She was just tilting her, finding the right ways because Miranda would, would kind of come in sloppy. And I think she's been able to get away with that with some of the lower level competition that she's fought recently. And Jasmine was not having it. Jasmine, a fighter who's come into the UFC later in her career, has massively improved. This is the best performance I've seen. And I want to see, see, see more of her, to be honest. Um, she, she just kicked ass. She, she showed out for the Canadian crowd. And you could tell she's dialed in right now in her prime. It'll be interesting to see what she has in store next. Statistically, Miranda landed 68 total strikes, 63 of those significant. She was 0 for 3 in takedown attempts. Jasmine landed an impressive 115 total strike, 67 significant, and had the takedown of her own. So Jasmine ex extends her winning streak to two. 
She is 4-1 in the UFC, and now she enters the top 15 at number 15. And Miranda has her two-fight winning streak come to an end. She starts a new losing streak and exits the top 15. Tough day for her. She is so young, though, I'm sure we'll see more of her. I would love to see Jasmine continue the climb up the ladder board, maybe take on Andrea Lee or Lauren, Lauren Murphy, a veteran that's been on some skids. I think it, why not make it happen? Let her fight uh, someone who's on a roll. But also, a lot of that division's booked up right now. So if you want to fight in the short, you know, by probably end of summer, early fall, that's the fight to make. And for Miranda, how about Montana De La Rosa? I think that would be a fun stylistic matchup. Big opportunity for Montana as well. Um, the, the fight I thought was getting disrespect that should, should have been on the main card and that I was really excited for really just ends in a clunker as Nasruddin Imavov was piecing up Chris, but ends with the no contest over Chris Curtis due to the headbutt second headbutt in a row for Chris Curtis action, man, a guy that's been active, a guy that you have to root for. Uh, has been in the UFC, been out of the UFC, been to a bunch of promotions, came in, did work, beat really good fighters, has an opportunity to get back on track after the bad headbutt with Kelvin. Uh, that fight I thought was going to go towards Kelvin's victory anyways, just like I think N Nasser Dean was. And it just sucks that that's how it ended up. Uh, brutal luck for Chris. The fighting game is savage and never tends to love you back. And um, it seemed like a pretty serious laceration, maybe some cornea issues as well. So uh, best of luck for Chris and his healing up. But when we look at the fight, Chris usually has amazing takedowns. He's fought grapplers, including Kelvin Gastelum. I think he was not prepared for Nasser Dean to try to get the wrestling going because he was able to get takedowns too easy. Like half-assed double legs just kind of let go. Chris has fallen down. I just couldn't believe what I was seeing. I don't know. Maybe Chris has been too active, his body's wearing down, potentially a bad weight cut. There's so many things that could be involved. But he was not the aggressive boxer pushing the pace. And I thought he was going to smother Nasruddin and not let him get distance to get the kickboxing going. Never saw the grappling coming. Uh, before the no contest in the second round, Nasruddin landed 59 total strikes, 57 of those significant. He had three takedowns and four attempts. So again, if he tried to take down, he was pretty much getting it. He also had a submission attempt. And Chris only landed 34 total and 26 significant strikes. So, you know, with the no contest, that's not a win or loss. So no opportunity for either fighter to get back in the win column. But Nasser Dean is now 1-1-1 one, one, one since the beginning of 2022. Uh, after a move up to light heavyweight and is now back to middleweight, where I, I believe he'll be staying. He does stay at 12 in the rankings. Chris can't quite get back in the win column either. He moves to 2-2-1 two, two and one since the beginning of 2022. So uh, twice as many fights. He's been active. He does stay in the rankings, but moves down one spot to number 15. There is an opportunity. This fight's been tried to be made multiple times. It ends in a no contest. It could happen again. I highly doubt it. It's like this, this, this is not meant to be. It's cursed. So how about Nasser Dean versus Jack Hermanson? I think that would be a great scrap. And for Chris... Give him Joe Pfeiffer, man. Let Joe fight a, a, a well-tenured veteran. Two guys that are going to throw down. Why not? You know Joe's down. Action Man's probably down. I'd love to see it. And a huge opportunity. If Chris gets that win, he's right back to where he wants to be anyways. So pretty solid fights through the prelims. Again, Canada cleaning house. A lot of Canadian fighters early on. Um, did not expect you know a few of them to win. Uh, big underdogs, and they did it.
Starting the main card, I'm not surprised this Canadian won. Marc-Andre Barriol with a unanimous decision over Eric Anders. Fight of the night. I figured this would be one hell of a great matchmaking fight and would be uh, tick, tick for tack in the entire fight, and that's exactly what it was. Um, Mark lived up to the power bar nickname, was able to wear on Eric through three rounds, and by the end of it, he just he, he didn't have a ton left. You could see it in his body language. But he, he came through after an amazingly high-paced first round, shots, uh, big, big significant strikes, kickboxing, grappling up against the cage. Eric came through in round two and landed some big shots, but Mark is, is a durable son of a gun, was able to outlast him, outscore him, had quite a bit more volume, and just looked like the co more comfortable striker. But when you throw as many takedown attempts as Eric did, and you don't get him much like the Blake Builder fight, that just wears on you. And he didn't even look as tired as Blake did. I was very impressed. Eric Anders has really grown over the course of the years. I'm sure that's why he got a new UFC contract. But a very tough loss for him. Very impressive win by Mark Andre. This should allow him to, to fight right outside or inside the top 15. So Mark landed 103 total strikes, 95 of them significant. He had a knockdown as well. Ya boy, Eric landed 87 total strikes, 83 of those significant, and only one takedown in 11 attempts. If you, you never understand what I mean by the takedowns, you're a UFC fan and you talk shit and Maybe you're an internet troll that's gone viral with MMA that talks shit about fighters. Just go try to grab your friend, take 11 blast doubles, take them down, get up, take them down, get back up, and, and see how that is. Imagine a fighting with boxing and everything else. That's uh, pretty insane. But, you know, again, Mark isn't great anywhere in my opinion, but he is solid everywhere. And to be able to shuck that many takedowns, still land 103 strikes, 95 significant, very, very impressive. That's the power bar. Doing work. So Mark extends his winning streak to two. He is three and two since the beginning of 2022. Eric starts another losing streak. He is one and two since the beginning of 2022. I'm really interested to see what the UFC does with Mark here. He's He's been a little bit of everywhere in his career. But how about Phil Haas? Give me the power bar. Give me Phil Haas. If not the young buck, Edmund Shabazian. I think those will be fun, fun fights. Um, really you could put Mark anywhere. It's going to be fun. And for Eric, how about a dance with Ian Heinish? Um, I think that would be amazing, but he has not fought since 2021. He did have a fight booked, got pulled out of that. I'm not too sure what's going on with that situation. So if that is not an option, how about Jacob Malkoon? Would love to see it. And then your boy 50K, Dan Ige, with a huge unanimous decision victory over Nate Landaware. Nate the train and as much as I want to talk about Dan Ige and how smooth he is and how amazing of a fight that was I still can't believe there was no performance here no no 50k for Dan Ige um how tough is Nate Landaware? the guy was literally pretty much knocked out right at the end of round two got saved by the bell I felt like he was out of it the first couple of minutes in round three. He comes in doing kick, come in doing takedown. His coach says, you got to finish the guy, and he went for it. That's Nate the fucking train for you. But the night is Dan Ige's night. The, the switching of the stances, the big right hand, the jabs, the leg kicks. He had it all working for him. The version that we're seeing in 2023 is a damn good version of Dan Ige, and no one is going to want to fuck with 50K. I mean, golly. 
if if you could build a fighter and be a fighter in a video game, I'm taking Dan Ige style, man. It is so smooth. It reminds me uh, a little bit of some of the best high-quality fighters in different weight classes. Sean O'Malley with the range, with the stance, changes the stance. And he doesn't have the length advantage that Sean does, but he hits like a fucking Mack truck. And golly, did he put it on Nate the Train. I cannot believe he got the guy out of there. You could see Nate or Dan was a little upset. He really wanted the finish. He was so close, but he's like, I couldn't get the guy out of there. I gave it everything I had um, and, and a well-deserved fight. I thought he de- deserved 50K. When we look at the stats, Dan did land 88 total and significant strikes with the knockdown uh, where Nate got just swalloped. Uh, but Nate did land 50, 74 total and significant strikes, so he was battling. He was 0 for 4 in takedown attempts. A lot of those were desperation mode to avoid another shot and, and being completely uh, knocked out of there. So Dan extends his winning streak to two, both in 2023. Because Nate was unranked, he stays at 13 in the rankings. And Nate has his three-fight winning streak come to an end and starts a new losing streak. I talked about this on Bows and TKOs Instagram at Bows and TKOs. We've been doing Matchmaker Monday and Thursday Thoughts. The fight that I was thinking about is like, man, Dan looked so good. Give him a chance to get back in the top 10. And how about a matchup with Giga Chikadze? Stylistically, that's must-see TV. Matchmakers, let's go. And for Nate, another banger. How about Hakeem Dawoodoo? I think that would be fun. Anywhere Nate and Dan are, we're tuning in. Very impressive performance by Dan Ige. And then, as John Anik typically says, although this isn't true, I feel like in Canada, the fighter that this card was built around, Mike Mallet, with a second-round submission via guillotine choke. What a beautiful guillotine choke that was over Adam Fugit. And uh, this was a performance of the night, 50 Gs, uh, deservedly so. And thank God he at least got to walk out as Mike was walking out, the crowd was going nuts. There was a barrier right out the tunnel that collapsed, and a bunch of fans collapsed. I guess some got hurt. They gave him better seats and comp. I, I'm not too sure. But that was wild. That was kind of like, wait, what the hell just happened? Because you could barely see it on the cut. Um, then they ended up talking through it, talking about it throughout the fight. But uh, Mike was cool. He, he had a, a mission. People falling right by him, sidestep. Er, keep coming. Get prepared. Had a great walkout song. And what a great performance. I thought Adam looked pretty good in there in round one, too. I haven't seen a ton of his fights. I thought he looked high quality. But Mike is so well-rounded. He's got power. He's got speed. His kicks, his grappling. He is one hell of a fighter. And I really can't wait to see what he does next. I hope he gets a step up in competition. Uh, but this was his night. He owned the post-fight interview. He owned the entire moment. And he showed out for Canada. And Canada had one hell of a day. I couldn't imagine uh, what that energy was like in Vancouver. Statistically, Mike landed 19 total and significant strikes. He had two takedowns and that submission attempt, as well as a reversal and a knockdown, the full package. Adam landed 16 total strikes, nine of those significant. So now Mike is on a six-fight winning streak. He is 4-0 in the UFC. Adam starts a new losing streak and is 2-2 since the beginning of 2022. And he is one and two in the UFC. I think Mike deserves a top 15 opponent in a dance with the veteran hard-hitting Santiago Ponzinibbio. That would be the perfect match. I could see it already. 
Let's make that one happen. And for Adam, a scrap with Andre Fialho would be a fun one as well. A guy that's been very active looking to get back on track. Besides the um, amazing action, I mean, shit, those fights showed out. Um, the Steve Ersig fight set the tone for the night. Uh, Kyle Nelson won. That fight was meh. Jasmine, an amazing performance, outclassed Miranda. The no contest definitely was a little bit of a bummer. But then the main card, Mark andre fight of the night. Your boy, Arik Anders, Dan Ige, Mike Mallett, and then Charles Oliveira with a first-round knockout over Benil Dariush. Of course, this was 50 Gs. And I've been talking about this with Benil, and it, it breaks my heart. I feel like he's gotten the Tony Ferguson treatment as amazing of a stretch that he's been on. He never had the opportunity for the title fight. He basically gets a title fight with Charles Oliveira for the, the winner clearly was going to fight Islam and he comes up short. Charles Oliveira is a fucking problem to get Benil Dariush out in the first round is unheard of first off. But second, uh, I just, my heart breaks for Benil man. Such a good guy, a guy that's so well-rounded. I wanted to see him be able to fight for the title. It's like climbing up Everest and not quite finishing it. Your toe gets numb or something. You got to go turn around back. And, you know, it really breaks my heart. But what Charles did with those kicks and the power coming out early was goddamn fantastic. Seeing the Vancouver crowd go crazy. He's on the cage. It's like he's in fucking Brazil. I mean, Charles Oliveira has one of the badass story, most badass stories in the UFC. Um, coming from like a almost like a journeyman, he he he'd been fighting everyone. He had taken some losses. He he looks like a completely different person. Um, gets the striking going. Justin Gaethje talks about the power that he has, and golly, did he showcase that in this fight? Looking at what he's done. Beats Benil Dariush, loses to Islam, beats Gaethje, beats Poirier, beats Chandler, beats Ferguson, beats Kevin Lee, beats Jared Gordon, beats Jim Miller, beats Clay Guida, beats Christi Christos Giagos, loses to Paul Felder. You know Paul Felder loves to have that on his record. Lost to Ricardo Lamas, Anthony Pettis, Max Holloway. This is all the way back in 15-16. Beat Jeremy Stevens. Lost to Frankie Edgar and Cub Swanson early in his UFC career. Lost to Donald Cerrone, lost to Jim Miller, beat Darren Elkins. He's fought everyone, anyone, highs and lows. But the, the run he is on now, since 2018, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, and 1. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 of those performance of the night. 1, 2, 3, 4, Five, four of those title fights, I mean, get the hell out of here with this. And we've already talked about his records last week, all the submissions, all the finishes. It's it's just unbelievable. Um, and I feel a little bad seeing Charles do this. You know, I, I, you, you got to love the guy and want to root for him. He's even trying to speak English now to build his brand. Uh, I love to see that. But I feel bad because I got to see him fight Dustin Poirier. But I was such a big Dustin Poirier fan at the time, coming off those Chan, uh, those uh, Conor McGregor victories, that we only got to see. Let's see, was it one round? Maybe two rounds? No, it was in round three. But I feel like we didn't get to see a lot of action with him and Dustin. I wanted to scrap, and Charles was was able to get Dustin down, which has been known to happen. 
and get the rear naked choke and it finished that way. I felt like I just had a sour taste in my mouth. Um, now that I bring that up, I should go back on Fight Pass and watch it to try to give that fight a little bit more respect. Because I know I was feeling down after that. I was like, man, I really wanted Dustin to win. Probably had money on it as well, which will pull on your heartstrings a little bit. But Charles Oliveira, give this man the respect he deserves. In my opinion, is definitely a certified top three light uh, weight of all time. And how about the lightweight division? You have guys like Tony Ferguson and Benel Dariush that have been on these runs and can't even fight for the title. Tony probably had a little bit more bad luck with being pulled out, injuries, those types of things. But everyone wants to talk about the best division in, in the UFC. I think this is why the lightweight is. The top 10 are the best fighters in the world. The bantamweight division from 1 to 30 is probably the deepest and most high quality. But the very top of the mountain in the lightweight division, it does not get better than that. And Benil Dariush, you know, he's witnessed it. Uh, but I don't think there's any any disrespect to Benil after this fight. I think he comes back. He still shows out, has a great career. But the days of him fighting for the title, it's so hard to get up there. Uh, it's going to be really hard for him. And I, I hate that for him. Statistically, Charles landed 37 total strikes, 26 of those significant. He was 0 for 1 in takedown, or, uh, takedown attempts, but had the knockdown. And Benil landed 32 total and 12 significant strikes. I still can't believe that Charles was the underdog here, though, as well as good as Benil was. I definitely hammered that and, and won a little bit of bread just on that, that, that spread alone. But Charles starts a new winning streak. He is 2-1 since the be beginning of 2022, and he stays at the number one contender spot. Benil has his eight-fight winning streak come to an end. He starts a new losing streak and stays at number four in the rankings. So everyone's already talked about it. I think this is going to be the case. Islam kind of tweeted about it even. I would assume it's Charles Islam. Uh, that, that's got to be it. Charles has cleaned everyone's clocks. Uh, it's worthy enough for a rematch while Volk does his thing. So then Volk potentially, if he wins against Yair, can fight Islam if he beats Charles. And for Benil, again, coming so close, so close to the opportunity. It ends like that after all of his hard work. It would be very impressive for him to be Islam, though. There, there's just levels to this game as Islam tweeted, and Islam's at a different level right now. I would love to see Benil square up with the loser of Gaethje Poirier, though. Either of those guys, it's an amazing fight. It's crazy they have not crossed paths, so let, let's make that happen. And if not, there's plenty more fights for him. And then we had the main event. One thing I've noticed about Amanda Nunez's career is she does something that just gets into these women's mentality. I thought Irene Aldana, who is a Mexican warrior, has come up and she's training with Grasso. There's all these Mexican champions or almost champions with the Ayer, Brandon Moreno, Alexa Grasso, that they're the ones pushing the pace. They're not afraid of anything. I mean, Alexa Grasso beat Valentina Shevchenko, the bullet, for crime any sakes. Anything was possible here. I assumed it. Irene may, maybe could do it. She did not look like herself at all. She looked like she saw a ghost before the fight. She was stiff. She didn't even like seem like she wanted to be there. She only threw 57 total strikes in five rounds. And when she did throw, she landed pretty well. So I couldn't imagine what would happen if she continued to throw and fight her game. I've seen this with Megan Anderson when she fought Nunez. Looked like a completely different fighter. I'm not saying that Anderson's as good as Aldana, but... It's so weird how these girls walk out and their just soul gets sucked out from them. 
That's the lioness for you. That's why Amanda Nunez is the quote. Jessica, I, we don't want to hear any of, of your shit talking to Amanda. This is her moment. Um, this is just an amazing thing for her. She looks amazing, though. She's retiring on top. I think she could continue to destroy um, the, the women in this division, both divisions. I think her retiring, honestly, is probably going to make the women's featherweight division go away. There hasn't even been rankings for it. Um, I think the PFL can own that division. It's going to be a real, really interesting how this went down. But the ability of Amanda in this fight was unreal. She was able to outstrike Aldana, although Aldana wasn't as aggressive as usual. Get takedowns anytime she wanted. It's like Irene had never Irene, Irene or uh, Rene. Okay, I can't say her name right. I just want to say Irene, but it's not Irene Aldana. Anyways, didn't look like she'd ever practice a takedown attempt, uh, defense in in her life. So uh, Amanda's just mopping people up at this point. Still at this point in her career, and she still is young, but she she's made a lot of money. She's about to have a, a second kid. I can understand it. Uh, why put yourself in these these situations? And I think weight cutting is getting hard for her. You could see her tire out through the five rounds. And if Aldana really did put it on her, she could have had a chance. You never know. But when we look at the stats, Amanda landed 196 total strikes, 142 significant. She had six takedowns and 13 attempts. Great statistics, no matter who the opponent is. And Aldana only landed 57 total, 41 of those significant. Quite the difference there. And Amanda ends her career on a two-fight winning streak. She is 16-2 in the UFC. Major wins over Jermaine Duranami two times. Valentina Shevchenko two times. I wanted to see the third time. We're not going to get it. Maybe she'll come out of retirement for that. Uh, Holly Holm, Ronda Rousey, Misha Tate, and Chris Cyborg. She has literally blitzed them all. There is not a lack of opponent that she has done here. And uh, I get it. What else is there for her to accomplish? The third fight, um, you know, um, why am I blanking on her name right now? Let's see. The third fight with Juliana Pena. I called her Jessica earlier. Sorry, Juliana. Um, the third fight with Pena, like, other than that, what, what else does she have? I mean, honestly, there's, there's really not much for her. Let's see. Raquel Pennington, which I believe she's already beaten, right? Raquel's looked pretty good lately, though. She's having a resurgence for sure. I believe she beat her already, though. Yep, she's already beat Raquel Pennington. There's, there's no one in bantamweight and really no one in featherweight. She'd have to go down to flyweight, <laughs> which is not going to happen. So I get it. There's really nothing for her. Just just enjoy the career. Well done. She's the quote. It's going to be hard to do what she's done after that resume. I mean, golly. It, like I said, it speaks for itself. It really does. And um, the only thing, you know, I don't want to be harsh on the criticism of someone that I'm trying to t uh, prop give so much props to, but that retirement situation was just all kinds of awkward, uh, with the belts, her doing her thing. You could see DC was like, what the hell is going on? She, she kept going on and on and it was kind of awkward, but you know, let her do her thing. It's her moment. She deserves it. There's not much that you can say about it. What's going to happen next. I have no idea. Honestly, 
and what even happens with Aldana? This is probably one of the hardest things to assume what's going to happen. Um, if I'm going to take a stab at it, I'm going to say that the interim title fight is going to be Juliana Pena and Raquel Pennington. And I would assume that Irene Aldana gets to fight either Holly Holm. Probably Holly Holm. Let me double check to see if Holly Holm has a fight. It'd be a good fight for Holly. And an opportunity for Irene to Irene to Irene 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 to get on track. Holly already beat her though in 2020, so maybe not. That division is just so logjam. At least Amanda's done cleaning house. I would assume that's going to be the interim title, but there's a lot of question marks here. I, you know, especially with the featherweight division. These next couple of months for the women's UFC outside of flyweight and strawweight are going to get real, real interesting. But what a card, man. Canada must be loving it. Their fighters going undefeated. Great performances. Amazing fighters to see Charles do that. Nunez, the class that she usually performs, gets to retire. Ige and Landwehr, the fight of the night with Eric Honors and Mark Andre. Some great prelims fights. Uh, hopefully the fans were there early to see Astro Boy and David go at it. I really enjoyed that fight. But that sets the stage for UFC this weekend. Not an amazingly deep card. It's really like a Contender Series alumni card, if you ask me. It's like we're watching Contender Series if it was a tough setup where you have to fight multiple fights. But this card could surprise people. I would not be surprised if this fight night card outshines Bellator and PFL. When this is the weekend they could do so. This really is the weekend they could do so. I'm going to give you my honest opinions uh, next week, but we have UFC fight night, Vegas 75. It's a traditional like pay-per-view time set with the main card at seven prelims on, at four on ESPN. So all MMA getting ESPN loved. Another thing I hate about Bellator is it's Showtime. No, I don't watch Showtime. I doubt a lot of people do with all these subscriptions. I ain't paying for it. You know what I mean? I ain't doing it. So some fights that we will not break down that are worth tuning into and I will watch, but I don't know enough about them. I, I feel like it's like, it's just not really worth breaking them down. We have Lucas Almeida taking on Dana White contender series alum, Pat Sabatini, Nicola Moda taking uh, the Dana White contender series alum, taking on Manuel Torres, Jimmy Flick contender series alum, taking on Alessandro Costa, Kyung Ho Kong taking on Christian Quinones, Carlos Hernandez, Contender Series alum, taking on Dennis Bondar. Dan Argetta, the tough alum, Ultimate Fighter alum, taking on Ronnie Lawrence. I really like Dan in the Ultimate Fighter. His UFC fight wasn't the best, but I, I still am high on him. He's a young fighter. I, I want to see how he does in the next few fights. I usually like to, you know, you see guys do well. You're like, all right, this guy has some something. He's got it. What is that? I'm not too sure, but I want to track his career. He's a guy that I, I want to track. Uh, the veteran who's, who, who really needs a good win, Zagas Zumagalov, is taking on Felipe Burns in his UFC debut from the LFA. But we're going to start in the prelims. I believe this is the opening fight on the card. We have Zach the Ripper Pauga, the 35-year-old with a 7-1 record, taking on Modestus the Baltic Gladiator Bukaskis, the 29-year-old fighter with a 14-5 record. And this is going to be a scrap to start the night off. I think it's going to be a hard hitter and, and it's going to be a fun one, potentially a, a, a highlight real viral knockout to start the card, which is always great. 
look what Stephen and David Dvorak did for the Canadian card. So Zach trains out of Elevation Fight Team. He's on a one-fight winning streak. He is 1-1 one one in the UFC. He is an Ultimate Fighter, Cage Warriors, and LFA alum. Modestus is a Cage Warriors alum as well and former champion. He's a four-time British kickboxing champion. He's on a three-fight winning streak. He is 2-3 in the UFC. Nine of his 14 wins are via knockout, and three of his five losses are via knockout. So to knock out or to be knocked out. I think Zach looked the best he ha he has thus far in his fighting career uh, against Jordan Wright. But Modestus's kickboxing ability is going to be a fucking problem. He's going to be the faster striker. I believe his kicks are going to really pay dividends as the fight goes on and take away Zach from his lead leg and his power shots. For that reason, I'm taking Modestus. I'm putting him on that parlay. We marking that is down. And we get in that bread. I got house money. I'm going to be betting on the Angels games. One money from Charles Oliveira. Love to see it. And how about those Vegas Knights? The champions. I got my last year Stanley Cup Colorado Avalanche gear on. But uh, when the playoff bracket came out, I actually picked the Knights to win it. So, you know, Mystic, Mystic Shane over here. In the next fight, this is a great matchmaking fight. Nicholas the Danish Dynamite. Dalby, 38-year-old fighter with a 21-4-1 record, taking on Muslim, the king of Kung Fu, Salikov, 39-year-old fighter with a 19-3 record. I think this is a fun, high-quality fight. You have two veterans who have solid momentum and are looking to just have one last run, you know, finish on a strong note. I don't know if it's necessarily a title shot, but keep, keep getting those wins on those records. And Nicholas is an orthodox fighter. He has a green, green belt in Ashihara Karate, a brown belt in BJJ. He's a Cage Warriors alum and former champion, and he's on a two-fight winning streak. He does have a four-and-a-half-inch reach advantage. Muslim has a Sanda background. He trains out of ATT. He has a blue belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. He won gold in men's Sanda in the 08 Olympics in Beijing. He was a 2005, 7, 9, 11, 13, and 15 World Santa Champion. And he is on a one-fight winning streak and is 2-1 since the beginning of 2021. He's a little bit older. He hasn't been super active, but he can be a problem. He's an M1 alum. 13 of his 19 wins are via knockout, and two of his three losses are via submission. Nicholas is a dog man. He's been more active than Muslim has. He's fought better competition, and I think Muslims fought better competition, and I think he brings a style of fighting that's going to be tough for Dalby. I expect Muslim to wear on Nicholas, have him up against the cage. After a round or two, I could see him being on top, getting a ground-and-pound finish or a KO finish late once he's exhausted his opponent. Nicholas is minus 200, Salikov plus 170. I'm taking the underdog. I'm putting in my parlay. We marking that ish down, and we getting that bread. Moving on to the main card. We got Rayoni Barcelos, the 36-year-old fighter with a 17-4 record, taking on Miles Chapo Johns, 29 years old with a 13-2 record. Now, Rayoni's looking to get some positive momentum uh, against a really young fighter who's stepping up in competition. And is probably happy to get this fight. Uh, Rayoni has a wrestling and BJJ background. 
He's got a black belt in BJJ. He won gold in the 09 Brazilian National No-Gi Championship. So more of a wrestling style without the uniform. He is an RFA alum with two, and champion with two successful title defenses. Eight of his 17 wins are via knockout. And Miles is an orthodox fighter. He's a Dana White Contender Series and LFA alum. He was a former LFA champion. He's on a one-fight winning streak. He is 2-1 since the beginning of 2021. But man, Miles is going to be a tough battle for Aoni. I think this is a tough matchup. But I believe Barcelos is going to be hungry to get back in the win column. He's got like that just non-traditional striking style that I think is going to be too much for Miles to handle. And if he can mix in the wrestling, if he has to. Rayoni's a guy that he likes to come at you. If he can come at you and the striking's working, you may not see the wrestling. If he needs to go to the wrestling well, he could use it. He's got advantages here. I am taking Rayoni. We are putting him on that parlay. We marking that ish down. And we getting that bread. Moving on. Again, this card has not got the superstars. A lot of people that are pretty good MMA fans may not know a lot of these fighters. But this fight right here is awesome matchmaking. We got Armin Superman Petrosian, the 32-year-old fighter with an 8-2 record, taking on Christian CLD Leroy Duncan, the 27-year-old fighter with an undefeated 8-0 record. Again, there are a lot of very evenly matched fights on this card, and I think some of these are going to really surprise people. It's worth tuning in. You got ESPN+. Plus. You can watch that ish back. But this is a fight of the night contender for me. We're in for a scrap. We're in for a banger. Now, Armin, he has a kickboxing and Muay Thai background. He's an orthodox fighter. Six of his eight wins are via knockout. He's on a one-fight winning streak, and he is 3-1 and one in the UFC. Christian is an undefeated pro fighter on an eight-fight winning streak. He's a Cage Warriors alum. He is 1-0 in the UFC. He has a very massive 8.5-inch reach advantage, and he's a knockout artist. Six of his eight wins are via knockout. I want to see who he fought first. Because I, I remember picking against him and being like, golly! He beat Dusko Todorovic. Very impressive. Was cleaning his house. Dusko ended up tearing up his knee and losing that way, which you hate to see. But this guy really impressed me in his UFC debut. And Christian's young. He's only 27, not even in his prime yet. He's still learning the ways. Armin's experienced, man, with all the kickboxing fights he's been in. He's been matched up with some dogs in the UFC. Guys like Kyle Baraljo, who he lost to. Gregory, Robocop Rodriguez. That fight was savage. Had a, a big win there, showed out. Really opened up my eyes to Superman. I just think he's going to be faster. I think he's going to have the striking speed. I think he has a better IQ. Christian's going to come in looking for the, the combos to set up his power shots, and I don't think he's going to get it. I think Armin keeps him at range. You know, he fought Gregory Robocop, who's a very powerful, even probably more durable knockout artist as well and got the win. I could see Christian getting a little overzealous, opening himself up to some head kicks or something like that. So for that reason, I'm taking Superman Petrosian, the plus 130 underdog, we're doubling down on the dogs. They're coming to eat. We're putting money on him. We marking it down, and we gain that bread. Let's go. And moving on, we have a very lopsided affair, honestly. We have Armin 
Akalakits to Sukarian, the 26-year-old fighter with a 19-3 record and the number eight next to his name, taking on Joakim Neto BJJ Silva, the 34-year-old with a 12-4 record. To be honest with you guys, this fight makes no sense to me whatsoever. Armin's a young, very talented fighter. Um, he What he's done recently in the UFC at freaking 26 years old is one of the more impressive runs he's, that I've seen. Even the fight he lost against Gamrod, I thought he won. I get it. He could use some experience. You know, he's got 22 pro wins, only been in the UFC for some time. I don't think anybody wants to fight Armin, so he's probably having a lack of opponents. You know, Benil talked about fighting him when he was supposed to fight Renato Moicano, which would have been a great fight. Moicano withdrew to, to an injury in April, but because Benil got Charles, that never surfaced. So I'm assuming they this is a guy who was available, is willing to take the fight, and a guy that's 34-year-old, it's only a win-win for you at this point anyways. Armin's a minus 1,000 favorite, just so you kind of get the gist here. So Armin is an orthodox fighter. He's a master of sport and MMA and freestyle wrestling. Three of his last four fights have been performance of the night or fight of the night. He's on a one-fight winning streak. Seven of his 19 wins are via knockout, five via submission, so 12 of his 19 wins via finish. He is 4-1 and one, uh, since the beginning of 2021, and he does have a 3.5-inch reach advantage. I mean, real quick, this is what this kid's done. 26 years old. He's beat Damir Ismugulov, which I did not think he could do, and did a unanimous decision. Lost to Matush Gamrat, which I thought he won. Beat Joel Alvarez. Beat Christos Diagos. Beat Matt Frivola. Beat Olivier Alvin Mercier, who's now in the PFL dominating. He lost to Islam Makachev and, and battled the shit out of him. That was fight of the night in Russia. I mean, this kid... The sky is the limit. So Joaquim's going to have a, a, a big night in the office, but he does have a BJJ and Muay Thai background. He's an orthodox fighter. He has a black belt in BJJ and a black krong in Muay Thai. He's an ultimate fighter Brazil alum. He's on a one-fight winning streak, is only one and two since 2019. Again, where did this matchmaking come from? I don't know. Seven of his 12 wins are via knockout, and two of his three losses are also via knockout to knock out or be knocked out. And honestly, we probably already know Armin's game plan. So does Silva. Silva knows that this is his opportunity to shock the world, revive his career, and uh, he's probably going to throw the whole freaking toolbox at him. I think Armin's going to look to get Silva down and smother him for a finish over the course of three rounds either via submission or gas so that he could land some good strikes. Clearly, he's going to have to watch out against uh, the wild shots that, you know, Silva's probably going to bring out. And he's going to have some, some, some good submission attempts. If he does take him down, he's got the BJJ. His nickname is Neto BJJ. So I would assume he's got some good BJJ. I am taking uh, Sarukian. I would not put him on a parlay, minus 1,000 odds, but he, this would be a, a big shocker if he took the L. And then we have the main event. When I first saw this get announced, I was super hyped up. But I don't know. I just, I just have a feeling, and I hate that I have this feeling. But let's talk about it first. So we got Marvin, the Italian Dream Vittori. 
the 29-year-old fighter with a 19-6-1 record and the number three next to his name, taking on Jared the Killer Gorilla Cannoneer, 39 with a 16-6 and record and the number four next to his name. I think this main event, Jared has everything on the line. He's moved multiple weight classes. He's had the title chance. He's 39 years old. He could beat one of the best contenders in the division, Marvin Vittori, which is crazy he's only 29. He's had a myriad of fights, has done everything in the UFC, and is barely in his prime. Both fighters, very impressive. The only people they've lost to since 2018, Israel Adesanya and Robert Whitaker, the best of the best. And as a lot of divisions, that's the reason why there's some log jams up top, is it's clearly one and two. Now, Marvin trains out of Extreme Couture. He is a brown belt in BJJ. He's on a one-fight winning streak and is 3-2 and two since the beginning of 2021. And nine of his 19 wins are via submission. Jared is an orthodox fighter. He trains out of the MMA lab right here in Phoenix. He has a purple belt in BJJ. He's on a one-fight winning streak. He is 3-1 since the beginning of 2021. And he has a 3.5-inch reach advantage. Now, these guys are some of the hardest-hitting, most durable fighters in the sport. There's a reason why they're in the top five. I really do think Marvin, clearly he's 10 years younger, is going to have the speed and wrestling advantage here. I honestly don't think a five-round fight favors Jared either. I think this is a big advantage for Marvin, who's been in so many five-round fights. You know, Jared fought for the title as well. But Marvin's had a lot of fight night, like main event five-rounders, just like he's having this weekend. And Jared's a big hitter. But Marvin's never been finished in his pro career, which is unreal with the amount of studs he's fought. I watched uh, some fights back. I watched Jared fight Derek Brunson and watched Marvin against Kevin Holland again and also his recent fight against Roman Delidze. Marvin's fought the guys that, have fought, that fight like Jared he fought Roman Delidze, who's probably a little bit more wild. Jared definitely has more um, technique and structure, more straight shots. Roman's a guy that just comes in with hooks and tries to get a big shot and knock you out. He doesn't really attack the body, doesn't kick. Jared does a lot of those things. Um, but I don't think he's going to be able to, to match the volume that Marvin's bringing. Watching Marvin grow as a striker, the leg kicks he's adding, his shots are brilliantly straight, nice jab. He is so fucking tough. I've seen him take massive shots, and I think Jared's going to land shots, but I think he's going to tire out first over the course of three rounds. I wouldn't be surprised if Marvin does try to take down. He did it against Delidze, which shocked me, but Delidze's definitely shown some, some crazy submissions on the ground, which could have had him avoid that. But I, I really want to root for Jared here. I've always enjoyed Marvin. Everyone kind of talks shit on him, but he's a dog. I'm going with the Italian dream. The Vegas odds have this as a pick'em fights. We're putting them on that parlay. We're marking that ish down, and we're getting that bread. So let's see. PFL, Bellator, you're up. Can you finally show out? Can you convince me to watch your damn fights? We're about to find out because next weekend we get a sweet fight night uh, action that's not in the freaking apex in Jacksonville, Florida, and it's bright and early. We're getting a 12 p.m. Pacific main card start. Headline by Josh Emmett and Aaliyah Topiria. Banger alert. 
I'm your host, Shane Gillette. Episode 2 of Bows and TKOs. We got a lot of action next week when I come back from Dallas. See you next week.